0: On the surface, it looks so good, but in reality, it's the deadly, cunningly, deceptive scheme of Satan to keep us away from God. Focusing on trying to be like God by means of our doing. Next, we'll look at origin number two of this diabolical scheme, the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and what that has to do with us today on daily in christ hello once again and welcome to the daily in christ podcast i'm mark vanu so glad that you are taking the time to listen in and we have been learning about the number one goal of satan above all of his other diabolical goals is to at all costs keep us away from god how does he go about doing that? Well, there's a lot of different ways, but his number one scheme is this. His number one strategy of achieving the goal of keeping us away from God is to deceive us into thinking, I become like God by what I do. And you know, Satan is fine with us religiously adding with God's help, of course, There are different flavors of Satan's master scheme that we are unmasking here in this Daily in Christ lesson. I must do to become like God, or we'll hear I must do, or what must I do to become more Christ-like, or I must do something more to be more like God. Now, later on, we will expose this strategy of I must do to become like God with the example of the erroneous notion that our sanctification is somehow incomplete and imperfect in this life, leaving us things we must do to be more sanctified. You heard me right. That notion is wrong and contradicts clear Bible teaching otherwise. It is an excellent example of this master strategy of Satan to keep us away from God. Right now, let's. Last time we were talking about the fall of Lucifer, who became Satan, and you remember that he was one who was given incredible beauty, incredible splendor. That beauty and that splendor came to him as a creature from his creator God. But that beauty, that splendor corrupted Satan's wisdom. And somehow he got the idea that his beauty, his splendor, was something of himself. That's in Ezekiel 28. Over in Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 14, we read about the... uh, fall of lucifer and uh, right there at verse 14 isaiah 14 verse 14 he says i will make myself like the most high it's essential to understand that that was at the epicenter of lucifer's fall who became satan i will make myself like the most high don't forget that there is nothing wrong being like god lucifer didn't want to be god he wanted to be like god now think about this uh god is good so it is good to be good <laughs> a lot of goods there god is righteous it is good to be righteous god is uh true to his word it is good for us to be honest uh, god is um wise It is good to be wise. The problem is how that happens. You see right there, that's the thing. If we think that somehow we become like God based on a how, we're already manifesting the fallen thinking that there is something I must do to become more like God. And that's where Lucifer fell. It's the idea that I can become like God without God. Now, Today, we're gonna look at the second origin of this great deception. And that goes back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis and the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve. You know, God in the garden had just one law. Genesis chapter two, verse 17 says this, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's the words of God to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. You know, that law never bothered Adam and Eve. They had no problem or temptation ever to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Sin was not in the picture. Adam and Eve enjoyed face-to-face fellowship and closeness with God. They were surrounded by God's goodness. All of creation was a testament to the goodness of God. Remember when he was creating, we see this in Genesis chapter one, it is good. It is good. You know, uh, let there be light. It is good. Let there be land. It's good. And sea and sky. It's good. It's good. The creation has its goodness because of the goodness of God. And they were surrounded by the goodness of God. They could eat of every tree. Of the garden. That speaks of the generosity and grace of God. And they ate free freely of the tree of life, which was in the midst of the garden. And they could live on and on. There was no such thing as death. And would you believe it? It all took place in a garden called Pleasure. Did you know that the Hebrew name Eden means pleasure? This was the environment of our first parents before the fall. Sin wasn't an issue. The one law where God said, you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in that day you eat of it, you will surely die. That law never was a problem. And then Satan comes into the picture under the guise of a cunning serpent. And when Satan came into the picture, evil came in, sin came in, Not sinning, but what we find out later in the book of Romans, sin the noun. And Satan comes in as a serpent, more cunning than any beast of the field. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. You see, what was the turning point where at one moment, Adam and Eve were fine with that one law being around, and then in the next moment, they were enticed by temptation and dragged Away into sin. Well, first of all, let's take a close look at Satan's attacks and temptations. And this is found over in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and uh, beginning in verse 1. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and follow along with us. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to, to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten of the, from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That's in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. Now, before we go further, it's important for us to turn to God right now in prayer, asking that the Holy Spirit would bring illumination to the teaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are good and we worship you, God, as infinitely good and the source of all goodness. Lord, we acknowledge that you are true and you are faithful. You are not a man that you should lie, nor the son of man that you should change your mind. Have you said, and will you not do, or have you not spoken, and will you not make it good? You are good. You are true, Lord. And Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that can bring illumination and understanding of you and your word. And so, Father, I pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would shed your light, bring light in the darkness. Bring your supernatural understanding to each of us, myself included, as we dig into your scripture, the word today. Lord, help us to understand the true way, which is you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, as opposed to the wrong way, which is believing that we live by our doing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And amen. Well, we're going to take these verses here and the tragic fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, recorded in Genesis chapter three and pull it under the spiritual microscope to learn, to understand, because we can see the way that Satan went about with our first parents who had no history of sin, no idea what sin was, no conception of wrong, no conception of evil. Let us observe Satan's attacks and temptation. Attack number one was an attack on God's truthfulness and grace. In verse one, Satan comes to them and says, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You know, in one loaded statement, Satan attacked God's grace and his truthfulness it threw a doubt on God's truthfulness. Notice the distortion. He said, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? That's not what God said at all. God said, of all the trees freely eats. You see, that was an attack on the grace and the goodness of God. Note that when Satan is trying to get us to fall, the first thing he does in messing up our thinking is to mess up our thinking about God, specifically God's grace and God's goodness. You know, this was an attack not on Adam and Eve. It was a double barrel attack on God's character, on his goodness and his truth. Satan began by maligning God. And as I said, this is exactly what he does with us. He attacks and twists the goodness and grace of God and gets us to doubt God's truthfulness. Remember, he said, has God indeed said? Is it true? Really? I don't think so, is the insinuation. All right, attack number two. To be like God without God. Verse four, the end, into verse five, says this: Satan is saying to Eve, you will not surely die. See, he goes in for the kill. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see that? You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And now we see in verse 6 how the woman was hooked by Satan's bait. Verse six, she looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She saw that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise. This tree. Like all that God had created was good. And by the way, this was not a tree that Satan snuck in the back door. No, this was a tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was created by God himself. It was a good tree. That wasn't the problem. The problem isn't looking at the tree. The problem isn't even touching the tree. The problem is eating of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That goodness of that tree reflected the goodness of the creator and as i said adam and eve had been accustomed to being surrounded by the goodness of god as manifested in his creation and so they looked at that tree she looked at the tree and saw that it was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes but here's the big thing she saw that it was a tree desirable for making one wise. Aha, now her thinking has become corrupted. You see, the line of thinking goes like this, and I'll show you the point where it diverges into corruption and sin. Point number one, God is wise. Well, of course, that's true. Point number two, wisdom, therefore, is a good thing. Yes, that is true. Third point, I want to be wise like God. This is true. Fourth point, this is where the divergence into corruption and sin takes place. This tree of the knowledge of good and evil is good for making one wise. That is a lie. Now we can see that the woman is deceived. This is at the heart of the lie that she believed. She said, if I could do this, eat of this tree, it will make me wise like God. There it is. Do you see the master strategy of Satan to achieve his goal of keeping us away from God by thinking that what we do makes us like God? that is not true what we do does not make us like god first of all when it comes to wisdom god himself is wisdom first corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 says that of god are ye in christ who has been made unto us wisdom from god so wisdom is actually god himself you have god and you have wisdom Second point, trees or anything else do not make us wise. Knowledge does not make us wise or like God. Only God makes us. He is our creator. Let me say this again. Satan's master strategy is to get us to think that we can become like God by means of what we do. And the way that he did it in the case of Adam and Eve, Eve was deceived into the notion of believing that she could be like God, wise like God, based upon something she did eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what did I just say? Wisdom is God. Did she have God? Yes. Did she have wisdom? Yes. Satan had come in to her thinking and got her to believe that somehow she was without and provided some way to get her to be more like God. Well, you need this in your life. You need to do this. To be more like God. May I point out immediately that Adam and Eve, Adam directly and Eve by extension, were already like God. And that we see over in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God is creating the man he says this verse 26 genesis chapter 1 verse 26 then god said let us make man in our image and according to our likeness did you hear that even as god was setting to create the man he says let us make man in our image and according to our likeness in other words adam and by extension eve because eve was made from adam Adam was already like God as much as God intended, not because of something that Adam did, but because of something that God did. God created him in his likeness and in his image. Do you see this? Do you understand what I'm talking about? This is critical to understand. Adam and Eve were already like God god not because of something they did but because of something that god did and so when satan comes along with the idea and notion that they can be more like god which would be idolatry by the way not because of something that god does but because of something they do that's that's the master strategy right there we're uncovering it this is the master strategy that Satan has to keep us away from God, to have us focused on do to become like God. If you think I'm making too much of this, I'm not. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Isn't that an amazing verse? Let me read it again. Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Noted. I've got that underlined in my Bible. And then there's this in Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse beginning in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our war- warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, listen to this, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive uh, into captivity to the obedience of christ that's uh, second corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5 now where it says uh casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of god that word knowledge is not a know about but a personal relational knowing of god through christ that's key so What happens? Back to the garden. We know, sadly, that um, sin came in. Sin was Satan. And it sprang to life. It took advantage of the law. There was a law that God had in the garden, only one. He said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day you eat of it, you will die. So that law was there. It never bothered Adam and Eve until sin came in the picture, Satan. And the moment that happened, sin sprang to life and took advantage of the law, which by the way, at the core of the law is this idea of do and live. Romans chapter seven, verse eight says this, but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire for apart from the law, sin was dead remember adam and eve did not have sin but sin came through satan so satan sin took the opportunity through the commandment don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil um, genesis chapter 2 verse 17 satan sin took an opportunity through that commandment listen to romans 7:11 i just uh in the amplified version this this brings in greater clarity uh, to this whole picture now i want you to, to to observe a few things about this verse number one there's the law number two there's sin or satan watch what happens in the interaction of the two and when it comes to satan coming against us romans chapter 7 verse 11 i like it in the amplified it really brings this out it says this for sin Satan, seizing the opportunity and getting a hold on me by taking its incentive from the commandment, beguiled and entrapped and cheated me, using it, the law, as a weapon, killed me. Let me read that again. Romans 7. 11 in the amplified for sin that's satan seizing the opportunity and getting a hold on me by taking its incentive from the commandment beguiled and entrapped and cheated me and using it as a weapon killed me now what happened when eve was deceived and adam sinned they both turned away from god and hid Now, remember, Satan's number one goal is to keep us away from God. And what is Satan's number one strategy to achieving that goal? By having us focused on do to become like God. Let me ask, how does a person become like God? It's not based on what you do. It's based on something that God the Creator does. And so... Adam and Eve turned away from God and hid. Satan achieved a major victory. He achieved his goal of keeping Adam and Eve away from God. And he did that by his strategy of do to be like God. Now let's reel this into us. We are led into sin exactly the same way by trying to be like God without God. Based upon what we do, not based upon what God has done. Do you know what that is? Godlessness. Godlessness. Oh, this is so critical to see. Satan has a huge trap of do to become like God. Now, when I talk about become like God, I'm speaking of our being. Our being is the result of our Creator. Our being is not the result of our doing, which would make us the creator and not God. That is idolatry. Let me say that again. This is a cardinal principle from the word of God. Our being, who we are, is the result of our creator. Our being is not the result of our doing, which would make us the creator and not God. That is idolatry. If we believe that our being is the result of our doing, we have fallen prey to Satan's number one tactic to keep us away from God. Do to be like God. The devil is not so much interested in getting us to do something obviously bad, but the devil is passionately interested in getting us away from God and his number one technique of getting us to do that is just like he enticed Adam and Eve away from God by getting us focused on trying to become like God by what we do not as the result of something that God has done and that's why the epicenter of the law is this do and live. You know, the law has so many commandments and regulations, but at the core, at the epicenter of the law, is this principle do and live. That's found in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, and in Galatians chapter 3, verse 12. Wanted to take a moment right now with me. Let's turn over to Galatians chapter 3, verse 12. It says this, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Now that last part, the man who does them shall live by them is Leviticus 18.5. That's a quotation from Leviticus 18.5. And we're here in Galatians 3.12, this is where I'm reading this. The law is not of faith. And yet there is the principle right before in Galatians chapter three, verse eleven, the just shall live by faith. And the argument is made here in Galatians three, twelve, that the law is obviously not of faith. Why? Because at the epicenter of law is do. You live by your doing, not living by means of God Himself, which is godliness but trying and struggling and striving to be more like God without God. That's Godlessness or ungodliness. And this is the great dark secret of the devil, the mystery of ungodliness. It is veiled behind what looks like the best of things, to be like God, or as Christians like to say, to be more Christ-like. But the devil's hidden dagger is this, to be like God without God. This is so revolutionary and so critical to see. This is unmasking Satan's number one tactic to keep us away from God. This is the, let me say it again. I'm going to repeat. I know I've repeated myself several times, but I need to because it's so difficult to see this. This is the great dark secret of the devil, the mystery of ungodliness. It is veiled behind what looks like the best of things, to be like God, or as Christians like to say, to be more Christ-like. But the devil's hidden dagger is this, to be like God without God. It has us focusing on our do instead of God's done. And this is precisely why God uses the good, holy, and righteous instrument of the law. The sinner is deceived, as Eve was deceived, as sin deceives, Romans 7.11. Deceived by Satan in this great diabolical scheme of godlessness, becoming like God without God, based on what we do. And you see, the sinner doesn't see this godlessness this unrighteousness remember what it says in romans chapter 1 verse 18 it says that the wrath of god is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness unrighteousness ungodliness the sinner can't see this in his own life this condition of godlessness unrighteousness because it is veiled under what appears to be the best being like god and so god exposes the sinner's ungodliness and unrighteousness by bringing in something that puts do to be more like god do and live on steroids and that is the law and the law stimulates that ungodliness living by our doing instead of living by God. And then the monster of sin, the sin nature, the condition of the sinner himself comes out of hiding. The sinner who is focused on do to become like God realizes that he is spinning out of control. And for that, turn to Romans chapter seven, beginning in verse 14. These are familiar verses though, seriously misunderstood by the vast majority of christians romans chapter 7 beginning in verse 14 this is the interaction between the sinner the law and sin now watch what happens and remember what god is using the law to do the law says do and live the sinner is deceived. The sinner thinks he is good, not because of God, but because of what he does. And God means to pull the true condition of the sinner out of hiding so that he sees how bad it is. Watch this. Romans 7, beginning in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal sold under sin for what i am doing i do not understand for what i will to do that i do not practice but what i hate that i do if then i do what i will not to do i agree with the law that it is good but now it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells in me now i want to stop right there because in the book of romans several chapters the word sin comes up some 46 times and 43 out of the 46 times it is not a verb as in the action of sinning it is the noun and it is directly tied to the sin nature of the sinner that is tied to satan So when we see sin here, it's not referring to the action of sin. It's referring to the condition of the sinful nature driven by Satan. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do do not do but the evil i will not to do that i practice now if i do what i will not to do it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells in me i find then a law that evil is present with me the one who wills to do good for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the sin of to the law of sin which is in my members O oh, wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death Now in all of those verses verse 14 all the way through verse 24, did you know that God is not mentioned once? And yet, how many times does the word do, I do, I, 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 the personal pronoun, I, me, so forth, comes up a whopping 37 times between verse 14 and verse 24. And the word do, comes up many times. Do, 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 do. Does this sound familiar? The person caught up in this is caught up in the scheme of Satan. The number one tactic he has to keep us away from God is to have us focused on our do instead of God's done. Do you see what I'm talking about? This is critical. This is foundational. This is ripping the mask off Satan. This is pulling away the veil and unveiling the chief tactic of Satan to keep you, my friend, and me away from God, focused on our due to become like God. And what could be clearer than these verses right here in Romans 7, verses 14 through 24? for the good that i will to do i do not do but the evil i will not to do that i practice now if i do what i will not to do it is no longer i who do it but sin that dwells in me do you see (laughs) that's just like two verses and how many times does the word do come up You see, it seems so noble to us to be like God. And we say, okay, what must I do to become more like God? Or, or the Christian way of saying it is, what must I do to become more Christ-like? So we file in on a Sunday morning, we sit down in the pews and we listen to the pastor preach a message and we're taking our, our notebook out and there's nothing wrong with all that. But you see the little devil in it all is we say okay what what do I need to do to be more like God more like more Christ like okay I need to do this I need to pray more I need to read my bible more I need to give more I I need to be nicer uh and then all the list of don'ts right well I I don't want to do this I I I I need to witness to more people I need to disciple more people on and on do 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 I call that do do christianity And it's a loser. And so the sinner, focused on his self-righteous do and live, gets to the end of himself. And here's the good news. Finally, he turns to Christ and true godliness. Romans 7, verse 25, where he says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's the good news. The answer isn't you and your do and fail. The answer is God. That's why when God saved the world, he didn't do it through your do and a list of do's and don'ts. He did it through the done of, our, of his Lord, of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. First Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. okay? Here's the key. Here's the ground zero of godliness. You ready? First Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. God was manifested in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. How much of your due is in that statement of the mystery of godliness? It doesn't exist. But what do we see God doing? God himself manifesting himself before us in the flesh. Jesus Christ is the son of God and son of man justified in the spirit he is the righteous one he is the holy one did you know that the lord jesus christ himself fully god fully son of man full divinity with full humanity did you know that he said this in john chapter 5 verse 30 the lord jesus says this i can of myself do nothing did you hear what he said I can of myself do nothing. This is the perfect son of man, the Lord Jesus. And he says, I can of myself do nothing. Listen. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. That's John chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus says, I can of myself do nothing. Watch what he says in John 5, 19. Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. No, Jesus wasn't imitating his father. He was saying of myself, out of myself, I can do nothing. Jesus is speaking as the perfect son of man. And he was demonstrating real godliness, real dependence upon God and not a dependence upon his due. And so, like I said, God brings in the law and Romans chapter 7 verse 9 to deal with the sinner who is addicted to do to be like God becoming like God based on what we do and so God brings in the law Where at the epicenter of the law it says do and live what happens when when law comes in the environment of sin and i'm not referring to sinning but the sinner with the sin nature from satan in romans chapter 7 verse 9 it says the law revives sin and again sin is that fallen nature which comes from satan it says in first corinthians chapter 15 verse 56 that the law is the strength of sin that's right first corinthians chapter 15 verse 56 in romans chapter 5 verse 20 the law stimulates sin resulting in abounding sin romans 5 20 and Sin, the sin nature, the nature of the devil, Ephesians 2, verse 3, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, Ephesians 2, 2, uses the law, which is holy, just, and good, as a weapon to deceive us and kill us. Just as our first parents were enticed and drawn into sin by desiring a good thing to be like God, but they did it absolutely the wrong way. I will make myself like the Most High. I need to do something to be more like God. And so we, like they, are dragged away from God toward sin. I don't really have a whole lot of time left, but I need to finish this thought and get into a prime example of this do to become like God. And it is the uh, matter of biblical sanctification. Sanctification means holy. God is holy. And to be sanctified is to be holy, set apart unto God and out of common use. We The Bible teaches that we, as those in Christ, are holy because of God's doing, not because of our doing. Now, doing is not important, but our doing is not the cause of our holiness. It is the result of being holy. And the believer is holy, even called a saint by God, because God, who is holy, has made us holy period. Now, there's all kinds of controversies about the issue of sanctification long time in the church. Some believers believe that... uh You're saved, born again, and then at some point down the road, you get entire sanctification. This is the classical uh, Methodist Wesleyan holiness kind of viewpoint. There's a second experience of grace where we become entirely sanctified. That's not biblical. The second more common notion that is also unbiblical is that uh, sanctification is somehow a process that is not biblical as, as well. And let me just say this. I get into this in much greater depth in my teaching series, living in the reality of perfect sanctification. So I can't get into all the details as I do in that, ser- in that series. But if you're saying, oh, well, I, what, what are you saying? Uh, I get into a whole lot more depth about this. Needless to say, this got me in trouble with the leadership of a church I used to attend and I taught in an adult sunday school class in this church now it was a fine bible teaching church it still is Um, filled with wonderful uh, sincere people wanting to be christ honoring there was leadership that that is still to this day diligent and wanting to help the people grow of god grow in christ this isn't some sort of backslidden church really a model of a good evangelical church but you see, I got into trouble with them because I held to the biblical doctrine that sanctification is of God and not our doing. You know, there is this uh, idea, this this um, notion that's out there, and it's centuries old. You can see it in the Westminster Catechism at the time of the reformers. And, um, this is, uh, it bothers me when I, when I hear it and say it, uh, they say that sanctification is somehow, yes, it is, it is good and, and complete, but it says it is somehow imperfect in this life. That is so wrong. That is so, 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 so terribly wrong and unbiblical. I don't care who it is that says it. Let God be true and every man a liar. The Bible clearly teaches that sanctification is of God and not our doing. Now, I am not saying that there isn't a result of a holy walk, but we don't have a holy walk to become sanctified or holy. Again, do you see why I'm using this as a prime example of do to become like God? Key, very important to understand. See these people who hold that somehow sanctification you know there's stuff we have to do there's the disciplines of the Christian life is what they say you know um reading the bible studying the bible memorizing scripture praying evangelizing discipleship on and on the list goes no we in no shape fashion or form are made like god based upon our doing that would make us the creator and not god and as i've already said several times in today's lesson that is idolatry god himself is our sanctification first corinthians chapter one beginning in verse 29 if you can turn over to this verse 1st Corinthians chapter 1 beginning in verse 29 which reads that no flesh should glory or boast in his presence listen but of God you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God as I said earlier wisdom is not an it wisdom is Christ himself and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written he who glories let him glory in the lord do you see the glory of god tied up in this thing sanctification is not a crisis experience like the wesleyan teaches wesleyan methodist people teach it you know entire sanctification sanctification is not a process the bible declares that sanctification is a person the lord jesus christ But you see how Satan gets us pulled away from God by trying to be like God by what we do. And this concept of an imperfect sanctification leaves the Christian with this notion that, oh, well, I got to make it perfect somehow, I guess, by what I do. It's terrible. (laughs) Ah, That's like nails scraping on a chalkboard. It is so, 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 so unbiblical. Hebrews chapter 10. Do I sound wound up? I am, and for good reason. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that's the covenant of law, that he may establish The second, that's the new covenant of grace. Watch this, verse 10. By that will, is it your will? No, it's Jesus' will, saying, Father, I will. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And where it says, have been sanctified, that is in the Greek perfect tense, meaning an action that is done once, never to be repeated again, Our sanctification is directly tied to the purity of the obedience of Christ and the purity and the perfection of his person and finished work. When we entertain the notion that somehow our sanctification is imperfect in this life, we are slamming the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfection and his perfect finished work. And that is an abomination. I will not yield for a moment to the doctrines of men. I yield to the scripture and I can smell the devil a mile away and the devil did it to our first parents and he does it to all of us. He gets us to believe somehow that that we become more like God by something we do. No, God is the creator. And we become like him based upon what he does. That's why the new birth is so necessary. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Again, I get into much more depth on this in my six-part series called Living in the Reality of Perfect Sanctification. God has used that series to rock Christians' world and set them free. Praise God. I hold to the biblical notion and idea that we are to walk, do, according to the perfect sanctification, which is Christ. Our walk... In holiness is not a walk to become holy. It is a walk according to the perfect sanctification whose name is Jesus. And the book of Hebrews makes it quite clear that our sanctification is tied to the perfection of Christ's person and perfect finished work. Sanctification is done by God alone. We are sanctified by the doing of God. And getting back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 29 through 30, 31, where it says this, that no flesh should glory in his presence. That's the reason why. But of him, of God, are we in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. My dear friend, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. If you have him, you have it all. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Do you see that 1 Corinthians chapter 30, but of him are you in Christ, is sandwiched between two glory verses? Verse 29 says that no flesh should glory in his presence. Verse 31 says that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Literally, the glory of God is at stake in this whole thing. The book of Hebrews makes it quite clear, and I just recently finished a 50-part teaching series in the book of Hebrews, that our sanctification and everything else that God gives us through his wonderful great salvation is tied to the perfection of Christ's person and perfect finished work sanctification is done by god alone we are sanctified by god it is so clear in the scripture i don't know why people don't see it but to be honest i didn't see it for the longest time either do you know what is at the heart of this whole sanctification controversy and again there should be no controversy at all but what is at the heart of this controversy On the one hand is the glorious biblical truth that we are perfectly sanctified because of the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ's done, finished work versus this sanctification doublespeak we hear in the church today. On the one hand, that we are positionally sanctified. That's nowhere in the Bible, by the way but that there is something we must yet do to go from imperfect sanctification to perfect sanctification. Do you see it there? It is the devil's master number one strategy to keep us away from God. We must do to become like God. And here it is. That sanctification being set apart and made holy happens because of something somehow that we must do because it's imperfect in this life. And that false notion of sanctification is because people believe that we become more Christ like as a result of something, anything we do. Does that sound familiar? It should. From the lips of Lucifer himself, Isaiah 14, 14, I shall make myself like the most high. Another example of this do to be more like God is uh, WWJD. You know how popular that was a few years ago. What would Jesus do on the bumper stickers and bracelets? It's all focused on imitating Christ. Always trying to figure out what would be Jesus behavior what would jesus do in this situation let's do that you know what jesus himself actually did jesus said he did what his father is doing John chapter 5, verse 19. I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. Then Jesus answered them and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does. The father, the son does in like manner for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. John 519 the nothing when jesus said the son can do nothing of himself is an absolute negative compounded by another negative in other words the lord jesus was saying this most assuredly i say to you the son can do absolutely nothing of himself now christian who do you think you are do you think you're better than jesus who said i can do nothing of myself Only what the Father does? Adam, our first parent, the first man, fell because he bought into the idea that we can become like God because of what we do. Jesus, the last Adam, says, I can do absolutely nothing of myself but what I see the Father do. And that's the difference, the infinite difference of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, and speaking of the Lord Jesus, we're going to be focusing on him in our next episode. This will be part three of what I originally thought would be just one episode. It's now it's going to turn into three exposing Satan's master's scheme to be like God without God. And we are going to be looking at Jesus himself when he had an encounter of temptation with Satan as recorded in Luke chapter four. It'll be very, very important. I know there's been a lot. I'm already past one hour in teaching, but man, I I couldn't stop because I didn't want to interrupt the flow of thought. I hope you're getting this and if you're struggling with this let's take it right now to the lord in prayer father god in the name of jesus we humbly acknowledge that you are god and we are not you are the creator and we are the created lord our existence and our god likeness is the result of you and you alone because you are god Father, forgive us. I thank you for your forgiveness for the many times that we have bought into this lie and it's different variants from Satan that has distracted us away from you, that somehow we could become like you without you. We become like God based on what we do, not based upon what God has done. Lord, grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the full glorious knowledge of you. And Lord, I know that in that context of, of real relationship with you and, and that spirit of wisdom and revelation operating in that realm and sphere, the light turns on and we can see these things. Father, I pray for deeper seeing and understanding of the, the glorious truth that the epicenter of godliness is you, God the Lord Jesus Christ, and the epicenter of ungodliness is our due, turning away from God. Lord, I thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You, Lord, and your truth is greater than all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dear friend, I if i could guess it probably might take another listening to this episode maybe the the last one and this one to really allow this to sink in i've honestly heard i don't think anybody else teach it like this but the lord has unfolded it this way and uh, if this is a blessing and encouragement and help to your life please do me a great favor tell it to a few close friends let them know the resources we have no charge a blessing to the body of Christ at dailyinchrist.org. Folks can subscribe to our podcast. I try to get a new lesson out every week uh, through the Apple iTunes store or uh, through uh, Android and uh, other resources. I have instructions at our website, how to do that depending on your device. That's at dailyinchrist.org. This particular miniseries is called Exposing Satan's Master Scheme, to be like God without God. Bless you, my friend. Thank you so much for listening. And may Jesus Christ be glorified in and through us by his grace.